Welcome to the Faceoffs and Fantasy Podcast with your two co-hosts, Sean and Marcus. We are back for episode number 12. So, yeah, we're up over double digits now, which is pretty sweet. And uh, what's going on, Marcus? Nothing much, Sean. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, riveting detail, Marcus. Just rich, rich, okay, fine, fine. Detail. I'm, I'm excited for everything. I'm excited for Wednesday, Sean, because you are coming to Toronto to play hockey with Michael and I. I'm pretty stoked for that. Yeah, man, I'm pretty pumped. It's, it's going to be a decent drive, but uh, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. When, We're going out I for dinner Mike with our friends. Too, I was like, ooh. Because, uh, no offense, like we've played together before, right? We've played seasons. Oh, together. yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd love I'm to old, play I'm, with you. I'm old news. I'm chopped liver. Don't worry about me. Yeah. It's playing with I'd Michael. I'd love to it's, play with you. We've got to get dri- Michael a hat trick. <laughs> yeah, driving over an hour just to get there and then play the game and drive an hour home. Like, you know, it's a decent commitment. But, uh, yeah, to play with you and Mike, I'm looking forward to that. It should be a good time. We're certainly going to try to get Mike some goals. Hat trick. I think, I think that should be our competition. <laughs> so we should make a bet or something, Marcus. <laughs> I think the bet should be because we're probably going to play defense together, right? You and I. Man, there's no de- it's it's shinny. There's no defense. You okay? You whatever. get the puck in the defensive zone, and then you just skate it all the way up, and you just wait for until right. Michael's open. <laughs> okay. Well, here w- what I was thinking is we're going to try to count, I guess, primary assists in case we both assist on one of Michael's goals. <laughs> If we both assist on one of Michael's goals, then it goes to primary assist. But we're gonna see like who can get Michael more assists. More, yeah, more goals. In the game. Or yeah, who can assist more on Michael's goals? Who can assist more on Michael's goals? All right. Um, what's the bet gonna be though? Uh, that's what I was gonna ask. What's the winner gonna get, and what's the loser gonna have to do, or just Ooh. the loser gonna have to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's a good question. Maybe we should have thought about this before jumping onto the <laughs> podcast. Uh, what's coming to my mind right now, very quickly, is the loser has to edit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so basically, Marcus, you're always the loser because you're always <laughs> editing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not calling you a loser to your face. <laughs> this is more of like a, a roundabout way of saying whoever does Hurry the up editing, and edit the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, whoever That's edits my the podcast <laughs> is kind of the loser. You know what I mean? So yeah, we can, we can bet. So this is episode number 12. So we'll say that Whoever gets Michael Moore primary assist has to edit episode number 12. Okay. Deal. Deal. Okay. Yo, Mike. <laughs> Yo, Mike. Come on, man. You know I'm good for it. Yeah, but he's going to edit this episode or whoever edits. They're not going to hear it. Michael well, will not yeah, hear this until after, after the game. Michael hear it until after the game played. Yep. But still, come on, Mike. You know you know if Mark's passed you, just, oh, man, I hit the post. It was so close. <laughs> Sean, you're so used to such brisk passing. You can't brisk pass to Michael. You just got to sauce it to him, like just really a tape sauce? to tape. <laughs> Wouldn't saucing it be even harder? No, no, like uh, don't put any sauce on it. Just <laughs> Oh, just like a nice, easy, along yeah. the ice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah, so, th- yeah, that's exciting for this week. Um, in, in other news, uh, I got married last week, so Woo! yeah, that was pretty exciting news for myself. My, uh, my wife and I, we had, we got married on our 10 year anniversary. So our 10 year dating anniversary, that is That's so, awesome. pretty sweet for me. There's only one date I have to remember now. <laughs> Don't have to remember two separate dates, which is pretty dope. And, uh, it was cool. It was like, we got a traveling officiant to come. So the officiant actually came to our house and it was just our parents and siblings. And so it was a very, very small but intimate, and it was awesome because Oslo was there, like our son. So it was pretty cool that uh, that he was there. 
So yeah. That was pretty sweet. So you're off the market, Sean, officially. Officially off the market. <laughs> you know, because it was still a little questionable for yeah. a while. But yeah. Yeah. Certainly a 10-year relationship. So that, that that was nothing until we actually got married. So yeah. Nice. Now, now it's official, Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing I was going to mention is, I don't know about you, Marcus. I know there's a hockey podcast, but uh, I, I watched the uh, the F1 race that happened this past weekend. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Did you hear about it? So no, I, I, I saw you mentioned that it was uh, an exciting ending. You, you're going to have to tell me. So, by the way, if you haven't watched Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix, it's actually a pretty wicked show. Even if you don't have any intention of watching actual races, like on race day watching the races, it's just a good show on Netflix. Um, so I would, I would highly recommend it. But That show yeah, got was a lot of people hooked on F1, eh? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a wicked show. It's really cool. It's and, like good yeah. access to, like in terms of, man, like one of the things that really stood out to me is the media can basically like ask them any questions they want <laughs> and it's like pretty intimate man like the guys answer a lot of these questions and the drivers and then the directors the guys who are in charge of the teams and mm-hmm. like even owners like they'll just and they're all sitting beside each other which is whack too so like there was this one driver who near the end of the season so i don't know maybe consider it like trade deadline time for nhl standards they start talking about like where they're going to race the following year if they're no longer under contract yeah so there was like this one driver who was with a team currently so let's say team a he's with team a but makes the decision to go to team b for the next season Mm -hmm. and he's sitting beside team a's director yeah (laughs) and team b's director is also there up on the podium so it's like literally all of them and then they're just the reporters are just asking like these just very blunt straight up questions like <laughs> oh like so you're going to be losing this driver so you know and you're going to be losing it to one of your rivals who's literally sitting right here like what do you have to say about that and then the two directors are like basically going back and forth at each other really um, so it's not <laughs> even like just about the racing and like the cars which is pretty cool in my opinion but there's also like this built-in drama i guess mm-hmm. and it's it's a pretty cutthroat industry from what i've seen so far um, so it's kind of cool in that sense as well. So if you're not necessarily into like the racing, there's also like the drama aspect to it. Um, so it's, it's a really cool show. Yeah. So. I heard you get to like, really get to know the player, uh, not oh, the, yeah. players, the drivers, yeah, yeah. right? Like get, on a more personal to know everybody. level. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. But anyways, the reason I brought this up is because the race happened this past weekend. It was the 22nd race, which is the last race of the season. Oh. And it just happened that the first and second place guys, were tied. They were actually technically tied in first place before the race happened with the same number of points. Yeah. And then depending on where you finish on the podium, you get X number of points. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it happened that they were tied. They had the exact number of points and then they went into this race. So basically whoever finished ahead of who in the race was going to win the championship for the year because they would end up with the most points. And so, yeah, it was a crazy race. The one guy was in the lead from lap one to lap 57. And there's yeah. 58 laps in the oh, race. Oh, man. And on lap 58, after some controversial things, I still don't know enough about the sport to, like, speak on it. But mm-hmm. basically, they restarted on that last lap on lap 58. And the guy who was in second ended up passing him no. and winning the race. <laughs> Ergo, winning the championship. Yeah. Damn. And the guy... Who who lost the Lewis Hamilton? If he had Ferrari. won, he would have Ferrari. Uh, Lewis Hamilton drives for Mercedes. Mercedes. Oh, okay. If he Sorry. would have won, though, he would have won his eighth championship, which would have put him 
as the single like most wins by a driver in oh, F1 wow. history. So he's yeah. currently tied with Michael Schumacher at yeah. seven. So he okay. would have basically gotten goat status. So mm-hmm. it was pretty crazy. Well, I mean, he's probably already, that's already kind of goat status, right? Yeah, it is. And then the guy <laughs> who won is like, it was his first championship. Oh, so it was also pretty cool in that sense, but yeah. he's a very uh, good driver who's been was around he for, for a Ferrari. No, he drives for Red Bull. Oh, okay. So yeah. no Ferrari. No, no. Yeah. Ferrari finished third, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, Carlos Cause... Sainz finished third on that podium, but I think they finished there because there's basically there's points for the team mm-hmm. and then there's points for individual drivers. Yeah. So Mercedes finished first, Red Bull finished second, Ferrari finished third. Yeah. And then in the actual individual race, the guy from Red Bull finished first, the guy oh. from Mercedes finished second, and then the guy from Red uh, Ferrari finished third. Okay. Because I know like in that first season of the F1 on Netflix, like Ferrari and Mercedes were not like featured on the show. Like they didn't have any of their drivers. Correct. Because they're like, yeah, we're kind of big. We're kind of a big deal. We're <laughs> correct. <laughs> right. They're like, well, yeah, I don't this think... is like more for middle of the pack drivers or they just they weren't like interested in being featured. And then. Yeah, I yeah. guess the show took off, and then they're like, "Okay, yeah, I guess you're, <laughs> the show's legit now. You guess you, we can talk to you guys now." <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you 100 percent in that sense. Uh, it did happen, right? So they weren't on it. That was something I was confused about as mm-hmm. somebody who's very new to F1. But then, yeah, like you said, at the time it was season one, they didn't know what the show was going to look like. They probably didn't want any bad publicity. <laughs> they yeah. didn't want you know certain things to come out, Fair. but after the success of season one, they definitely jumped on board. So for example, Lewis Hamilton, he didn't speak at all in the first one. Like they didn't interview him for the Netflix series. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then season two, it was like the first episode you hear him talk. So (laughs) it was like, okay, we got him this year. Yeah. But the cool thing is the driver switched teams, right? So even though Ferrari didn't talk in season one, Mm -hmm. the guys who drive for Ferrari were on other teams. So you still heard certain guys talk. They just like switched teams at the end of the season. But anyways, that's a, a decent amount of F1 talk. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, just shout out. Uh, it's a pretty cool show. Shout out to Chelsea, my friend Chelsea, because she was the one who uh, recommended it to me. And yeah, it's pretty friggin' sweet. So I'm looking forward to next season. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, that was so the race that happened this weekend, which was considered by some and I'm sure, you know, over time it'll happen. But to some, they said this was probably one of, if not the most um, kind of important race in f1 history because it's not frequent that the very last race determines the winner for the season and the way that it finished (laughs) was Mm -hmm. also pretty cool too so So you got to watch one of the most iconic races (laughs) pretty much yeah like i'm thinking if i continue to follow f1 through the years like i'll probably look back and be like man that was one of the craziest races i've ever seen yeah (laughs) and it happened to be the very first one that i actually watched and uh yeah, it's only because my son wakes up so early because the race started at 8 a.m. on Sunday. Oh, but I was nice. up at 7, so I watched the race at 8 o'clock. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But uh, anyways, my wife's probably not happy that I spent five or seven minutes talking about F1 and only 30 seconds talking about our marriage. Um, but <laughs> it is what it is. This is a sports podcast. And That's old so news, man. That's Wednesday. They were talking about Sunday. Come yeah, on. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just more re- it's more recent in my memory. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> Let's get into it, Marcus. The first topic is uh, kind of a sad topic. So tonight we're recording right now. It is Tuesday, December 14th. It is 9.20 p.m. I guess we're kind of 
exposing ourselves a little bit here, Marcus. We're we're claiming to be huge Leaf fans, but we're actually recording during the Leafs game. So sorry about that, everyone. We're confident uh, we're going to beat the Oilers, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, currently 0-0. But uh, the reason the date is important is because what we have found out over the last couple of days is there have been some postponements in the NHL, some additional postponements. So Calgary has postponed at least three games. They have, as of right now tonight, nine players and one staff in COVID protocol. Carolina and Minnesota games tonight was actually postponed as well. So there goes another game with two more teams. looks like Carolina's got a decent amount of players as of right now, minimum five who are in COVID protocol. Um, So it wasn't because of Minnesota. It was actually because of Carolina. And then there's also guys from the Islanders, from the Avalanche, from the Bruins, from the Panthers. So the big kind of fear and issue we have right now is we're talking about one, two, three, four, five, six different teams, all with guys in the COVID protocol at the same time, six out of 32 teams. So this is, you know, we were talking about on our last two podcasts, how, you know, first it was, you know, the Islanders and then the next week it was, or sorry, first it was the Senators and then the next week it was the Islanders. And now here we go. Calgary's postponing games, Carolina's postponing games. And then you have guys from the Islanders from the, you know, Avalanche Bruins and Panthers as well. So it's, it's coming together and it's all coming together at the wrong time. So the reason I'm sad about it is yes, number one, I don't want anybody to be ill. Don't want anyone to contract COVID. We all want this virus to go away at this point. It's been so freaking long and all of us are dreaming about a post COVID world where we can go back to quote unquote normal. Cause I do think things will still be changed after a, a while. Um, but Marcus, the Olympics, man, the Olympics, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Obviously, I really don't want the league to withdraw out of the Olympics. Obviously, we care about the players' health. So the less they're sick or the less they have to postpone games, the better. So if they don't contract COVID or get COVID, then that's better for us in that we don't have to see any postponed games and the league won't have to pull out. Yeah, I mean, it'll certainly have to slow down, right? Like the, the stuff that's happening right now. But uh, it seems unlikely. Like I remember when the, the league came back and, you know, we had the bubble and there was zero mm-hmm. positive tests. And last year was pretty good too. There was really not too much that went down in, in the context of COVID besides Dallas having that big outbreak right at the start of the season. Like it was pretty good. And this year they've opened up the borders. We have teams traveling everywhere. It's different. It's different. So... Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, feel bad for the players. But the other thing to keep in mind here, Marcus, is the reason the Olympics are a thing is because the players, not the owners, not the league, fought hard for it in the last CBA. So it's actually the players, I think, who are going to have the say as to whether they want to go or not. I'm not sure the league wants to make that call without the players on board because they don't want to have any bad blood, especially because in the last CBA, that was one of the things they conceded. When I say they, I mean the league conceded to the players was the option to go to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But you're starting to hear things. You're starting to hear stuff like, if players go to the Olympics and then they contract COVID or they test positive for COVID, they would have to isolate for three to five weeks in China, away from their families, away from their teams, 
And guess what, Marcus? If they chose, because it is their choice to go to the Olympics or not, if they chose to go to the Olympics and then had to quarantine for five weeks, the NHL owners ain't going to be paying those players their salaries for the weeks that they're away. Yeah. So they're going to be away from their families, away from their teams, and also losing pay. So that's a lot of factors contributing here to whether or not they decide to go. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I don't even think it's going to be the NHL at that point. I think you're going to start seeing individual players making the decision not to go to the Olympics. You know what I mean? There's there's guys yeah. with kids at home, man. There's guys who maybe they're on a contract and they don't want to lose out on the money. There's going to be guys who just don't want to take that risk. And you know, you're quarantining in another country. So you're relying on other governments to like the Chinese government to basically look out for you and provide you with all the things that you're going to need. Like you're not a citizen of that country. You don't have rights in that country. Like, you know what I mean? You don't know what kind of services you're going to be provided when you're Mm -hmm. staying there for five weeks. So you'd have to figure all that out on your own as well. Well, I assume I assume China being the host country, they would think of that kind of stuff or have kind of <laughs> protocols for yeah, that. Yeah, Espe- you would you know, think. But obviously, it's still a risk. It's it's not cut in stone or anything that, yes, China will take care of you or, or whatnot, whatever, right? Yeah. I don't know about you, man, but I, I don't definitely wouldn't want to be caught in another country in the middle of a pandemic having to quarantine for five weeks. So For sure. It's a tough call. It's a really tough call. So I, I'd be curious to see what happens, but... I think there was an interview that happened recently with uh, Petrangelo and he, even he said, I'm not sure that I want to go because he apparently he has like three kids under the age of five or something. Mm-hmm. He's like, man, like I can't, I can't quarantine in China for five weeks. Like I need to be home to help my family and support my family. Like I can't just up and leave for that amount of time. And yeah. don't forget the Olympics also is like a two, three week event. Yeah. So it's not just five weeks. It's potentially like eight weeks. It's potentially like two months if you're there for the entirety of the Olympics and then well, you're there. The to players quarantine. don't like the NHL, they don't like those players, they don't go for the full thing. They like they know their schedule in terms of if hockey starts in day ten of the Olympics, then that's when they're gonna get there for like day eight or day nine. They're not there for like opening ceremonies, usually. Unless yeah. like the the first game is around opening ceremonies or something like that. Yeah, and although, same with although like I do think the they go a little early because they need to get more accustomed to the time changes, right? Well, yeah, I'm just it could be like one or two days that they go earlier, yeah. but I don't think they're going to be there for the entirety of the Olympics. Like normally they don't go for that. Although hockey is usually one of the most watched sports at the Winter Olympics, and I believe the gold medal is usually towards the end of the Olympics. Yeah, so they won't be there at the beginning is what I'm, is what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. Either way, you know what I mean? Like it, it could be an additional week or two that they're there actually playing games plus potentially having to to have to sit there for another three to five weeks to quarantine. Like mm-hmm. anyways, um, so all of this to say that the more this the more games are postponed in the NHL, the more that I think it's gonna affect the players, the more that I think players are gonna start to see that maybe going to the Olympics isn't the best idea right now. I know like Robin Leonard, for example, said he's out. He wasn't talking about specifically COVID. He didn't mention it specifically, I should say. Uh, But he said that he spoke with and consulted with some of his doctors and the people that that he speaks to. And he decided due to mental health reasons, he's going to stay home. He doesn't want to go over there. So I think it's important to to note that I think you're going to see more players making individual decisions. 
as opposed to teams uh, making decisions, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense for sure. Because it is up to them, I guess, if they want to go to the Olympics. Yeah. If they get invited or get asked to play for the team, they can decline, obviously. Yep. Very true. Very true. I was going to say, do you know if, um, like, the Tokyo Olympics, were there a lot of outbreaks or did a lot of athletes uh, get COVID at Tokyo? I'm not sure, man. Okay. I'm not sure. Because this is technically, this would be the second Olympics during the pandemic. So. Yeah. You'd think, again, we're just assuming here China would have, you know, proper protocols to move the athletes or or whatnot, like to the games and to the village or whatever it may be. Yeah, I, I'm honestly not sure. I'd have to look into it a little bit better. I don't yeah. remember it being like one of the big storylines, like taking over. So, yeah, I'm but then again, wasn't. they didn't have any fans there. And I assume China... Yeah will have fans at the Olympics this yeah, upcoming year. Yeah, you're right. Tokyo didn't allow any fans in. So, yeah, I'm not too sure. I guess it is what it is. But uh, at this point, it's certainly looking more and more likely that it's not going to happen, <clears throat> which kind of sucks. But, hey, it is what it is. Life goes on. And uh, at least we still have an NHL season, right? Yes. I knocked on wood in case anybody's <laughs> wondering. Okay, next topic I want to talk about was some kind of executive staff moving around and also specifically some general manager talk. So, Marcus, as we know, the Vancouver Canucks kind of cleaned house. And yeah. do you know who they hired? Bruce Boudreaux as their coach. Yep. And Jim Rutherford as their president of Hockey Ops and their interim GM. Yeah. Right. So for those of you not familiar, Jim Rutherford has been around. He's he's in his 70s, so he's worked for several teams. But in particular, he was most recently the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, where he helped them to win three Stanley Cups. I think he was there for all three, wasn't he? If not, at least so. the two back-to-back -back Cups in 16 and 17. So a guy with a lot of experience, a guy who's done it all. And I want to be very clear here, Marcus, because you used the term interim. So he was hired as the president of Hockey Ops, not hired as the general manager. He's currently in as the interim GM as they search for and hire a permanent general manager. One of the things that came out of a lot of the conversations surrounding the Vancouver Canucks, I think was a lack of communication I don't want to say lack of communication, but I think there was too much direct communication between the general manager and the owner. And I think that that was maybe a realization of the owners that they might need somebody else in between as a buffer to help the general manager to make certain decisions because it certainly sounded like the Aquilinis were maybe a little too involved in some of the hockey decisions that were being made. And I think that now they're realizing that maybe they need to trust somebody who has a bit more hockey experience. So I think Jim Rutherford is a perfect example of who to bring in in this case. He has a ton of experience. And we don't know why he left Pittsburgh, but it certainly sounded like he wanted to do some things as general manager, and maybe the owners told him not to do certain things as the general manager, and he abruptly resigned. So I don't think this is a guy who's going to be influenced by the owners too much. I think this is a guy who probably told them when he interviewed, you need to trust me to make hockey decisions. 
let me work with the general manager that ends up being hired. Let me groom that general manager to make sure that they're good at their job by the time I leave here. And I think having this position of president of hockey ops, and I mean more specifically having somebody of his pedigree in that role, I think will be really helpful for this team big picture wise. Yeah. Uh, Jim Rutherford won three Stanley Cups, as you said, one with Carolina in 2006 and two with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2016, 2017. Okay. Okay. He was with Carolina when they won. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Was he the general manager? Yes. Yeah. He was the GM of the Hurricanes and the Penguins. That's impressive. Yeah. I wasn't wasn't sure if he was in Pittsburgh in 09, but he was probably still in Carolina. I don't think so. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, so he's he, won three. He, he joined uh, Pittsburgh in 2014. 14, okay. And, and then, then they went back to earlier back. this year. 16, and, 17. Yeah, he won back-to-back cups in yeah 16, 17. And then he resigned earlier this year, January 27th, 2021. So that was that this? No, that was last season though, right? It was last season technically, yeah. but it was yes. this calendar year. Right, right. Okay, right? that and makes then sense. Brian Burke took over. As yeah, the they hired Ron Hextall, Ron Hextall yeah, as the, the general manager. Yeah, so that's that's kind of funny because it's almost similar in that sense where they hired they hired somebody to be like the president of hockey ops in Brian Burke, and then they signed a general manager in Ron yeah. Hextall. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny that Jim Rutherford left Pittsburgh, but now he's going to Vancouver and, and has more of a role like Brian Burke has currently with uh, with Pittsburgh. Exactly. Well, that's interesting. Other searches that are going on, it's the Habs. So, uh, you know, because we said that there's an interim GM. So Vancouver is still looking for a permanent general manager. The Habs are also looking for a general manager. As we know, they also cleaned house, including the letting go of Marc Bergevin. So they have been interviewing. Apparently they have a, I'm not going to say short list because it sounds like more of an extensive list with a lot of names on it. But one of the things that came (laughs) out is apparently they're looking at or they're considering three women for the GM position. So I would just want to mention that. I think it's pretty cool. I know in most major sports, I think baseball might be the only one. I think the Miami Marlins manager is the only female manager in professional, I want to say North American sports because I don't know about elsewhere. Uh, but the big four, like the big four sports here in North America, she would be the only one that holds a position of general manager for a team. So be pretty sweet if that happened. I think there's a lot of really talented and probably well-respected ex-Canadian hockey players who are French-Canadian who played for Team Canada. That would probably be some of the people who could potentially be considered for the GM position for Montreal Canadiens. I don't have names. They didn't specify names uh, based on the sources that I was checking out, some of the articles I was reading, but they just mentioned that this was something that they were seriously considering. So I thought that that was pretty cool considering the team's recent track record of not giving a poop about anything but results yeah no that would be great to see to have um, a woman be the gm for an nhl team and especially such a storied franchise as montreal uh, that'd be very cool to see yeah awesome i remember man it was five years ago when i was working in toronto still there was a school that had had been around for over 100 years, literally been a, a high school really? for over 100 years. Yeah. And it was, I think, five years ago, Marcus, they hired their first female principal. Oh, wow. I was like, uh, the school's <laughs> been around for 100 years, and 
this is the first female principal that they've had. I, I was very shocked. Like I just assumed that they had had female principals in the past. Apparently not. So, and that's a public school, yeah, that is not, not a private school, not a Catholic school, nothing. So I was, I was very shocked and, and taken aback, but I think you're right. I think because it's the Habs, it makes it a little bit more special too. For sure. I would, I would think so. The other thing that came out is we talked about this earlier in the season with Bill Guerin and the investigation that happened. He, I uh, guess, kind of ended up going by unscathed because there was a settlement that happened um, with the Scaldies. Nothing was made public. It certainly seems like there was an NDA that was signed. So because of that, no stories really came out of it, including what Bill Guerin may or may not have done in his role as assistant general manager in Pittsburgh. He's, I guess, just kind of cleared at this point. And since there was an opening at the general manager position of Team USA and he was the last assistant general manager, Bill Guerin has officially been named the general manager of Team USA. So he will be the one in charge of creating the roster for the men's Olympic U.S. hockey team. Okay. And I think the assistant general manager is going to be Chris Drury, correct? Yes. That is correct. He was named the assistant general manager as Bill Guerin is being moved from assistant general manager to manager. Who is uh, Chris Drury, Marcus? He's a former captain of the Rangers, I think, and he played on the Colorado Avalanche. I think he also played on the yeah, Buffalo he played Sabres. For the Sabres as well. I think him and Danny Briere shared the sea, didn't they? Yeah, yeah I, I always so. found that. I always found that like really odd. <laughs> they had a like when it was a home game, one of them was captain. When it was an away game, the other one was captain. Yeah, a couple of teams have done that since. Still, yeah, or like around the same time. I think, I think the Minnesota Wild have have done something like that a couple of years ago before they just had Miko Koivu as yeah. the captain. Oh well, interesting. Good luck to the U.S. We'll see. Well, you know, obviously they got to come up against Canada, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, it's just more <laughs> whether or not we actually send NHL players to the Olympics. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, one of the other things I want to talk about is the Arizona Coyotes. They recently got in trouble from the state of Arizona because they actually ended up owing quite a bit of taxes that apparently they just didn't pay um, to the excess of over $1 million worth of taxes that apparently was not paid to the state. And this just, I mean, Arizona has not had the best tenure in their stay there as an organization. There's certainly not been a whole lot of ups, maybe besides the 2013 conference finals. And there's been a whole lot of downs with that team in particular off ice antics and issues within the organization. So this is just another thing where you're like, Dude, this is an NHL team that's valued at probably at least $400 million. Arizona? And they no. are not. Well, <laughs> you've got to consider there's teams that are over a billion. Like the Leafs and Rangers and Habs are probably yeah. anywhere from $1 to $1.5 billion. So, yeah, yeah. no, I know. Just, I'm just, just in terms of <laughs> equity, like I'm sure if somebody had to buy this team and then move yeah. them somewhere else, it would cost probably, I would say, at least $400 million. But, anyways. Besides that point, this is a team that has had a lot of off-ice, off-ice issues. They've you know, recently lost draft picks for circumventing certain rules. They've had players who have basically not wanted to go there. They've uh, allegedly had issues with paying staff members, including players, and bonuses on the right days and of the right amounts. And so we're just starting to see more and more of 
why is this organization not succeeding in Arizona? Is it because of where it is? Is it because of, you know, the lack of hockey fans in that market? Probably plays into it. But also, this is clearly a team that is not managed very well. This is clearly a team where you kind of start taking a look at the deeper dive here and you're like, I kind of see why they're having so many issues. Maybe somebody should be on top of paying taxes to the state of Arizona on behalf of the they probably fired Arizona that guy. Coyotes. Yeah, they <laughs> they claimed it to be uh they claimed it was human error and then the guy who works I guess for the state of Arizona or somebody who has more information about it basically said like, yeah, you can believe whatever you want, but uh I wouldn't consider it human error because this is like 17 times now <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> He's like, so they fired him a long time ago, and then nobody thought yeah, about it. Yeah, I, I heard a little bit about the <laughs> specifics, and it sounds like the way that it works there is you pay everything online. So you submit a form, and with the form, you're supposed to submit payment. But it sounds like they were just submitting the forms without payment. And so it basically like went on for a while where they were just submitting the forms but not actually submitting the payments with the forms. And so this is why it took the state a little bit of time to actually pick up on it, where it was like, oh, okay, they've been submitting the forms. Okay, they're submitting their stuff. And then I think somebody finally realized like, oh, they're submitting the forms but not actually paying us. So that's a bit of an issue. Um, And they definitely want to settle those debts because Arizona is talking about moving from the current building they're into a new building. And it sounds like the taxes they're paying is actually specifically related to the building itself. So yeah, you want to make sure that that happens. Yeah, I think like you said, it's... Definitely, there's, they need some proper leadership there at Arizona. Because, Understatement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jim Rutherford should have been hired in Arizona, uh, I don't think right? Jim Rutherford's touching that with a 10-foot pole, buddy. <laughs> Jim Rutherford no, has true. a ton of experience, a ton of pedigree. I think he was probably sought after. and We'll pay him that tax money and then yeah. <laughs> give him an yeah. extra signing bonus of that tax money that they yeah, owe. exactly. Man, that's honestly, though, like if you're a player and you're signing as a free agent, like, are you worried that you're going to go there and like not get paid? Yeah, I know. That's crazy, too, because I remember I think it was, yeah, during COVID, right? OEL wasn't getting his like bonus or whatever, or it took a couple of days or it took longer than it should have. It was supposed to get it on like, June 1st, the yeah. first or whatever. And then he didn't get paid. Yeah, pretty <laughs> freaking crazy, man. Yeah, every, yeah. excuse me, every single player, it's June 1st. That way, it doesn't matter what team you're on. If you get traded, this, that, the other. It's every single team is June first, so that's okay, how they yeah. do it. That's why. That's why some teams will trade after yeah. June first. Yeah, to, like a team like the Leafs um, could pay a guy their bonus because they can afford to, and then trade that person somewhere else. So then, someone taking exactly. it on, they're taking on cap hit, but not real dollars, right? Um, so that's a strategy. But, anyways, Marcus, in my very humble opinion. I think as soon as Gary Bettman is no longer the commissioner of the NHL, and I'm not speculating on when that might be. I don't know if it's going to be a month or five years or 20 years, but I think as soon as he is no longer the commissioner of the NHL, this team is moving out of Arizona. I don't know what you think. I don't know. I mean, probably, but who knows? It just sounds like at every... they get a new building and then they start to... Gain some traction. I don't think they'd move, obviously. Yeah, but. We'll see what happens. But we need to move on because yeah. we've talked about this for too long. So, Marcus, tell me you've seen the Zegras sends an alley to Milano goal. 
I have not seen it. <laughs> How have you not seen this goal? I'm watching it right now. Where where do you live? Under a rock? Oh, <laughs> man. That was a sweet goal. <laughs> Nasty goal. He did so, like a Svechnikov kind of Michigan type, picked it up and then just kind of tossed it over the net. And then. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't seen it, I Marcus didn't even see it. So I'm sure there's somebody. What do you mean? I ball. just saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Basically what happened is Zegris picked up the puck and then. Not with his bu- hands, with his stick. With his stick directly <laughs> behind the goal. So. It's not like he can shoot the puck at the net. He actually tossed it, like alley-oop passed it over the net to his teammate who was standing in front of the net, and that teammate batted it out of the air like a baseball and scored a goal. So absolute insane skill and talent that goes with this. Incredible. Also, the guts or, you know, the gumption to do that, the courage to just do that in an NHL game. As a rookie... This guy has the potential to win the Calder Trophy, Marks, as a rookie in the league. And he just pulled that off. Like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? So, in my opinion, I feel like this is the way of the future. I think we've talked about this a few times, but as we know, at this time in the NHL, it's getting faster, it's getting more skilled. You're seeing smaller, talented guys getting opportunities. You're seeing more of these incredible goals every single year. This is like, peak right now this is peak man this was such a nice goal by such a talented player and i just feel like this is the natural progression of the game it's about entertainment at this point i think because of social media it's so easy to pass around a gif of trevor zegris passing an alley-oop to milano and him batting the puck in the air and people who don't even watch hockey can see this and be like yeah that was pretty cool And I just feel like this is something that's good for the game. I feel like it's going to help grow the game. I feel like passive fans or people who aren't even fans, this is something you can see. And it might pique your interest. It might be like, oh, man, like if I watch a game, I could see something like that. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty awesome. I don't know if you heard the conversation that happened with my friend John John Tortilla Marcus. (laughs) So Yes, John Tortilla. I uh, I accidentally spelt uh, John Tortorella's name as John Tortilla in one of our notes in a previous episode. And Marcus just casually put like a question mark beside it where he's like, do you mean Tortorella? <laughs> um, so that's just an inside joke. I'm not actually calling John Tortorella a tortilla. It was simply a human error. I'm going to play the Arizona Coyotes card here. Human error. Sorry, everyone. Um, yeah. So he... <laughs> Did you see it, Marcus? Did you see the interview with John Tortorella? No, I did not see John Tortilla. John Tortilla. So what happened is he was essentially talking about how he disagrees that this is a good thing for the game. And he actually thinks that it's bad for the game of hockey. Well, he doesn't want people to like hockey because he's not coaching it. So he only wants people to come when he's coaching. Yeah, he's just (laughs) upset now. He's like, I'm not in there anymore. No one should be watching this. Yeah. Um, his arguments were, you know, he didn't give a lot of detail to his arguments, but w- a couple of things he mentioned, like one, he was saying how, you know, it's just, this is typically a, you know, a, a tougher game. And I feel like this is, you know, it's changing. So that's becoming, you know, a little softer. And I just don't know if it's good for the game because one of the great things about hockey is how hard it is and how difficult it is to be in the league and how you have to basically be, a tougher guy to play the sport of hockey. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. That's not like verbatim what John Tortorella said, but I'm kind of just paraphrasing some of the stuff that he mentioned. And one of the other things he mentioned is he thinks that 
something like this is actually going to lose fans for the NHL. He didn't really explain why. <laughs> he, but he was like, no, you know, you might gain some fans, but you're also going to lose fans because of something like this. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, lose fans because of something like Who the hell is going to stop watching There's after seeing that? too much skill in the game now. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So I think he was kind of inferring or, or referring to the fact that there's maybe some more old school hockey people out there who are a little upset that it's no longer a rumble tumble, you know, the legion of, of doom like line where people are like killing each other and hammering each other and it's concussions every week. And, you know, there is still fighting, but it happens very infrequently than it used to. I'm not saying fighting has no place in hockey. I'm not bringing up that argument right now. All I'm saying is if you're watching this and your reaction is this is bad for the league and you're going to lose fans because of it, I'm sorry, TNT, but I don't know what the heck you're thinking by hiring John Tortorella as an analyst because that is literally one of the worst takes I think I've ever heard of. John Tortorella is a big fan of the league when – you know, you could only pass backwards. You couldn't pass the puck forward. So <laughs> <laughs> he likes the good old days. The, the good old days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to strongly disagree with John Tortorella on this one. And I'm going to say that I think he's nuts for making that argument. Maybe he's doing it literally just to get people's reactions because everyone loves this and everyone's talking about how amazing it is. And he's the one guy on the other side bringing up other arguments. Maybe it is to create a stir. Maybe it is to get backlash and reaction i don't know but it certainly didn't seem like it it just seemed like a dude who's more of an old school thinker and um just made a bad take maybe just, he didn't just, see it either he <laughs> like me he just it, like didn't see it <laughs> he, he definitely what, what are you it. talking about john who's who's this trevor zegris and milano guy uh speaking of kind of old school we were talking about last week we were discussing how big ice and open hits are something of kind of the past. And what we mean by that is they happen so infrequently. And, you know, you can talk about why that is, why that isn't. The reasons for it are one thing. But one of the things we were discussing was how, you know, when guys throw a big open ice hit and it's a legal body check, there seems to be this immediate reaction of somebody has to fight them. Um, And we were talking about whether we think that's good or bad. We don't need to get into it because we talked about it last episode. But I was just noticing, Mark, because we talked about that last week. And this week, Jacob Truba hurt us. (laughs) And uh, two games in a row, he crushed Kyra. Um, It was actually like it was a legal hit. Didn't get a penalty. There was no additional, you know, consequences for his actions. Uh, But Kyra actually did get a concussion. He's in concussion protocol. He hasn't played since. Uh, it was a big hit, man. Like, really, really big hit. And then the very next game, he hit McKinnon. And he caught McKinnon with his head down. And, man, McKinnon is one of the best players in the world. And if you can catch him with his head down like that, honestly, kudos to you. It was, again, another big hit. Uh, I know McKinnon left the game and didn't come back. I'm not sure if he's missed time since then. I'd have to look into it. But pretty crazy that uh, Truba's somebody who's still making hits like that in the NHL when they're so far and few between. And he actually had a Gordie Howe hat trick in back-to-back games. So goal, assist, and a fight in back-to-back games. And the only reason he had those fights in back-to-back games is because he crushed people. And then obviously guys on the other team fought him right away. Stood up to him. Yeah. Pretty crazy. I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume you have not seen those hits, Marcus. I saw the Nathan McKinnon one. I just saw it right now. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, he just... 
man, he caught McKinnon with his head down. Yeah, I don't think too no, many people just... can say they've caught well, McKinnon with his head down. Yeah, both of them. Both of them. Well, Jujar Korea was, yeah, he just kind of was looking at the puck and then, yeah, Truba yeah. caught him. And not to mention Jacob Truba is a massive human being. Yeah. So. So we talked about this last week, how Kudobin was playing poorly. And since then, the Dallas Stars have waived him and he cleared waivers today. And he is now assigned to the AHL. Um, supposedly teams do have some interest in him. So hopefully, you know, he can get back into the NHL soon. But as of this season or this season so far for him has not been going too well. Sean, do you have any anything on Kudobin? Yeah, no, it's just um, the same thing you said, Marcus, for sure. I had mentioned maybe there was a couple teams that might be interested in somebody who has one year left on their contract, but clearly not. <laughs> so he was he cleared waivers and yeah. Well, it could be a similar move, kind of like how the Leafs allowed Kyle Clifford to clear waivers first before acquiring him. So now right. that he is waiver exempt for 30 days, you know, they could look to picking him up because they could have some short-term goaltending issues or something like that. Yeah, no, that's a very good point, Marcus. Right? Very good point. And another goaltender um, in the Dallas organization, Ben Bishop, unfortunately, uh, his career is over in that uh, he hasn't full, he hasn't retired, but he will not be playing in the NHL anymore. So he hasn't played, I think, in the NHL since 2019-2020 season. He did play three games in the playoff bubble. But he had a bad knee injury and he also so he tore his meniscus and he also has degenerative knees. Um, recently, he was sent down, I think this past weekend to the AHL for a conditioning stint. And unfortunately, he allowed eight goals in a game. And basically, he knew at that point that uh, he didn't think he'd be able to get to the level to compete at the NHL again unfortunately he has to hang him up but he did have a pretty successful career in that he uh, was nominated for the Vesna which is the top goaltending award given out by the NHL he was nominated three times he came in second in voting before and one of one of those times that he was nominated and he actually retires as having the fifth highest save percentage amongst goalies who've played 300 games at 921, which is actually a really, really good save percentage. Yeah, that's incredible. He is behind Dominic Hoshik, Johnny Bauer, Ken Dryden, and Tuka Rask. So that's that's some pretty good company right there. Um, so <laughs> Certainly just, good company. Yeah, it just goes to show that he was a very good goaltender when, um, when he was healthy. So it's unfortunate to see him go, but I believe Dallas will be just putting him on LTIR and he will get the rest of his contract paid out to him. And I think his contract expires next season. So Sean, any thoughts on Ben Bishop? No. Yeah. Phenomenal goalie. I just, you know, every time I think of him, I think of how massive he is. Six foot seven. He's a very big guy. I remember how (laughs) the Ottawa senators had him and decided to trade him and uh, keep Robin Leonard at the time. And I feel like they made a mistake (laughs) because he turned out to be the better goalie earlier mm-hmm. on when they needed a better goalie to try to make pushes. Um, Robin Leonard, as we all know, is a fantastic goal in the NHL now, but it took him quite longer to develop. So, yeah, just a tough break uh, in the context of being injured and not being able to come back, but kudos to him and his 921 save percentage. That is not easy to do in the NHL. For sure. 
Unfortunately, he didn't did not win a Stanley Cup either. He came close with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he got all the way to the finals. He he dragged that team there, or he was a big part of that team. He was the starting goaltender yeah. for them. But I think I think that was 2016, I want to say. But unfortunately, they lost that season, and he went to the Dallas Stars later on, and they made it to the finals in the bubble. But unfortunately, they didn't win either. So. Yeah, he did, he did not win the Stanley Cup in his career. Yep, they traded him uh, before that happened. So the, the back-to-back Stanley Cups at Tampa won is Vasilevsky as the goalie. Correct. But it, it is what it is, right? Vasilevsky was coming in. They knew he was going to be good. At the time, they couldn't afford Bishop's contract. Mm-hmm. Decided to go with the younger goalie on the entry-level deal, and, hey, it kind of paid off for them. So it is what it is. But speaking of goalies, Marcus, you wanted to talk about another goalie. Yeah, so jumping on to another goaltender in the NHL, Mark Andre Fleury recently won his 500th career game. Um, he won it against his hometown team, the Montreal Canadiens, in Montreal, and he actually shut them out. So that's pretty impressive. He is the third goaltender to get to the 500 win plateau. So Man, that is impressive. That's that's really really impressive or really amazing to see. And uh, he joins Patrick Waugh and Martin Brodeur. So another two. French Canadian uh, goaltenders. Yeah, so. seriously. Yeah, <laughs> all three of them. Yep, yep. So he joins a pretty exclusive club, and you know who knows he could go for the number one spot. I think it will take him a couple seasons, but yeah. I don't think uh, Martin Berder is reachable. <laughs> I I don't no? think he is. But one thing I wanted to note is you know we were just talking about how Ben Bishop had the you know top five save percentage in 300 games played or over 300 games played. Yeah. Fleury has 500 wins. <laughs> it's 500 yeah. wins. That's not games played. That's just wins. He's actually played 901 games. So he has a 500, 286, and 80 record. So, damn, man, that is impressive. Not going to lie. He's almost he's 99 games shy of 1,000, which is very impressive for a goaltender. For a goaltender, yeah, because they don't play every game. Yeah, so. so incredibly impressive. Very happy for him. Well-deserved. And we've talked about him in the past before in this, in this podcast, but it certainly sounds like I think every single person who has ever played with him or had him in the dressing room is probably cheering for him at this time. For sure. Yeah, Martin Broder has 691 wins. So yeah, that's uh that's pretty hard to uh, beat. Yeah, he, he has a <laughs> lot. Especially of... at at thirty seven. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Mark Andrew Fleury, but uh, Patrick Waugh is attainable at five fifty one. So you know maybe two seasons, you could you could get there, and the season's not over either for this one. So. Yep, that is very true. All right, Marcus, let's move on to the Leafs corner with Sean and Marcus. <laughs> All right, we got to talk about the Leafs right now. So the Leafs... They uh, are winning one nothing against the Edmonton Oilers. Currently winning one one nothing against the Edmonton Oilers. That's fantastic. Yeah, the Leafs have been playing really good hockey. They, uh, they really have been playing good hockey this year. So there's not, there's not a whole lot uh, in, in context of, you know, just picking out like individual things. We could certainly talk about areas of improvement and stuff like that, but I just wanted to talk about a few things in particular, Mark, that, that have happened over the past week, week and a half. Um, namely, we we found out that Jason Spezza got suspended for six games. So he got a six-game suspension for kneeing Neil Pionk. 
which is ironic because Neil Pionk got a two-game suspension for kneeing as well in the same game, obviously separate incidents. So for those of you who didn't see, basically Neil Pionk, Neon Need, one of our players, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Rasmus Sandin, Rasmus Sandin ended up getting hurt. There was no penalty call that happened. That game got out of hand. The refs did a terrible yeah, the job. Refs lost. Yeah, they yeah. just lost the game. They completely. lost control. But Spezza, who has played over 1,200 games in the NHL, has never been suspended before. So it was a little surprising to see this as a six-game suspension, in my opinion. I know what he did was wrong, and I know it definitely deserved a suspension, even for a guy that's played over 1,200 games. I was a little surprised at the six games that he got. I just feel like, you know, we've been talking about this last couple of weeks. The league has done such a bad job about setting precedents. And all of a sudden, you're going to slap a guy who's played over 1,200 games without a suspension. That's the guy you're going to suspend for six games. Like, come on. There's so many guys in this league who have done stuff that didn't get any suspensions. And all of a sudden, the guy who's as well-respected as Spezza is getting six games for that. Again, he deserved to be suspended. He should have been suspended. I personally just think six games was too much. I feel like that is something that could have potentially been lower. I know that he's planning on appealing it, actually. So he yeah. sent in some paperwork. That means Gary Bettman's going to look at it first and make a decision. And if he doesn't like Gary Bettman's decision, then he could appeal it to an arbitrator as well. But I think the reason why he appealed it is because it's six games. Like, it's not because he's being suspended. He knows he's going to be suspended for this, and everybody knows that he should be suspended for it. I think people were just a little caught off guard by the six games that he got. Yeah, it's unfortunate that I guess the hit in how it happened in that Neil Pionk didn't have his stick, so he kind of bent over to push the puck out of the defensive zone. Um, so he was kind of already very low. He wasn't on his knees or anything as yet. And then Jason Spezza saw his opportunity to quote unquote get revenge or, you know, get some payment for his bat because uh, Neil Pionk threw the, the bad hit a couple minutes earlier on uh, Rasmus Sandin, the knee on knee hit. So Jason Spezza saw his opportunity um, to stick up for his teammate and he leaned into the hit or he went to go hit him. And because Neil Pionk was already kind of bending over, he got, he, he basically need Neil Pionk in the head. Jason Spezza did. So they, it's, it's unfortunate in that sense, and especially because if the refs had called a penalty on Neil Pionk, that probably wouldn't have happened because Jason Spezza wouldn't have had to try and like take the game into his own hands, or you know maybe somebody else would have just tried to fight Neil Pionk or something. But Neil Pionk probably would have been in the penalty box at that time. So it's just unfortunate. Playing those what ifs in your head, right? Like there's so much reason in that context, but. It was crazy to me, like a guy who's as well-respected as Spezza, you know, known more for a skilled player, not necessarily, you know, a fighter or Mm -hmm. guy who throws hits, but it kind of just, he's clearly a leader of this team. He clearly cares about guys in this team. And it it makes me think back to the Columbus series in the, in the play in round before Mm -hmm. the bubble where he fought a guy in a game. Yeah. Right. And it was, it wasn't, you know, in the context of sticking up for somebody, but it was more of a like. We need more fight in this team. We need more belief in this team. We need people to like actually care and do something when we need stuff to be done. And to me, this was another incident of him 
saying to the rest of the team, look, we can't let guys like the Winnipeg Jets just throw us around. And yeah, you know, the refs suck and they're not making calls that they very clearly need to be making, but we need to basically push back. We need to let these teams know we're not going to be bullied. We're not going to be pushed around. We're not going to, you know, just take a hit like that. And basically there's going to be no response or no retribution for it. What he did is inexcusable. I understand that potentially the refs, all of this could have been avoided. It was still a bad decision on his part. I don't think he should have done it. I do believe he deserves to be suspended. But at the end of the day, I still disagree with the six games. I feel like that's a little bit too much. You know what else is crazy? Jack Campbell. He's insane. He's He's been on fire. I mean, the past couple of games haven't been too great in terms of been kind of high scoring. But he's been really good regardless. He's been making some great saves for the Leafs when they need it. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Going back to the Columbus game we played, he made a fantastic glove save against Bjorkstrand. Just next level, man. Like, I know we only ended up winning by one goal, but realistically, that was just poor defense at the end of the game. We were actually up 5-1, and we just let Columbus come back for no reason at all other than just poor defense. was not Jack Campbell's fault. But in retrospect, now looking at the score being 5-4, he made some saves in that game where he definitely made sure that the Leafs won and he kept uh, Columbus at bay for long good enough to get them the victory. Yeah. You know who else is doing all right but is back finally, Marcus? Yes. Another goaltender. He's on your fantasy team currently. Picked him up. <laughs> Peter Mrazek. Yeah, he's finally back and he gets a win in his first game. Yeah, he lets in four goals, but hey, we got the win. It's all that matters. Sucks for Marcus in fantasy, but it's good for the Toronto Maple Leafs in real life. So I did not play him. Oh, you sat him. Okay, well, then it <laughs> He was matter. still in the IR for me at the time. Uh, I didn't even realize he was playing that game. So it's okay. <laughs> He's now off the IR for me. I mean, a, a win would have still been good. But, yeah, he, he allowed four goals. It was 5-4. The Toronto Maple Leafs had beat Chicago. Nice. Yeah, no, that was good. <laughs> I mean... Again, one of those where we were up, we were doing well, and we let them come back a little bit. But it is what it is, man. At the end of the day, this team is chugging along. This team is doing very well. We're getting a lot of wins. We've banked a lot of points, which basically just means we've won a lot of games and built up a lead. So even if we go through a bit of a skid, we'll still be ahead of a lot of teams that are chasing us for a playoff spot. This team is looking really, really good, especially offensively. I mean, it took a little bit of time for some of the big guns to get going. But, man, are they going now. And it just doesn't matter. This team can easily, easily score five goals on any given night. And it's basically kind of just the way that it works at this point. And so Austin Matthews, who everyone knows had a bit of a slow start to the season, he's up to 19 goals. Coming off wrist surgery. Coming off wrist surgery. Yeah, but he's up to 19 goals now in 30 games. So... Not quite a goal a game pace, but hey, in the NHL to have a goal a game pace is pretty ridiculous. So we're talking about a guy that's still third in the league in goals scored. He's only two behind Ovechkin, only five behind Dreisaitl. I think with the rate that he's going, he might catch them and he might pass them and he might win a second Rocket Richard trophy. Well, he was on a nine-game goal streak last week. Unfortunately, it was snapped against the Tampa Bay Lightning, but then he he came back, scored a goal, or was it two goals against the Blackhawks? And he scored tonight. So He scored tonight. And, and Wayne Simmons just scored his fourth goal of the season. So it's 2 nothing Maple go. Leafs now. But yeah, so 
the big guns are coming out. Our forwards are playing great. We're getting a ton of goals. We're scoring a ton of goals. So if if you're playing fantasy and you have a goalie that's starting against the Maple Leafs, <laughs> I highly recommend sitting the goalie for that particular game. But one of the things that the Leafs can certainly maybe work on, and when I say the Leafs, I think it's probably Kyle Dubas at this point, is our defense is a little bit shaky. Um, as we know, Justin Hall is not having the best season. Who knows? You can speculate. Maybe he's injured. Maybe he's not. Doesn't really matter. But Jake Muzzin is also not having the best season, and having to play with Justin Hall is only making it worse for him. They've shifted up the lines a little bit on defense, but besides Riley and Brody, there really isn't too much stability on the defensive side. Lilligren's been playing pretty good this year. Sandine was having a pretty good season. Unfortunately, he's out for a while. I think, and I'm assuming, Marcus, that Kyle Dubas has been playing phone tag with some of the other GMs in the league, checking in on maybe some second-line defensive players who might be a I hope so. I think he's going to want to round out that top four. I think he's going to look for a top four defenseman to play beside Jake Muzzin and hopefully ease some of the issues that are happening with Muzzin and hopefully breathe some life back into him a little bit. I hope so. I hope so. But at the end of the day, forwards are playing great. Goaltending has been outstanding. Jack Campbell is an absolute stud. Morazic is finally back, so our depth is looking good again. If, you know, second-line defense pairings is our only concern at this point in the season, I'm not too worried about it, and I do think it is something that Dubas can try to help and potentially fix as well. So I think that that's great. The only thing that sucks for the Leafs, and it's completely out of their control, is the other teams in our division are just so good. So currently we're third place in our division with 40 points. We're behind Florida and Tampa Bay who both also have 40 points, but they have games in hand on us. We are fourth place right now. Currently Marcus in the NHL, (laughs) two of the three teams ahead of us are in our freaking division. Yeah. We are fourth in the NHL, but third place in our division right now. How insane is that? It's crazy. That's not even fair. Not even close to being fair. So, man, as good a season as the Leafs are having, they're going to need to have an even better second half of the season because they need to finish first place in this division. Because if they don't finish first place in this division, they're going to probably have to play one of Florida or Tampa in the first round of the playoffs. And that would suck. Yeah, (laughs) that would. Okay. Welcome to the fantasy corner portion of our podcast today. Marcus, I know you had a lot of things lined up that you want to discuss, but uh, I'm going to take the lead if that's right with you. Okay. Uh, I want to mention a couple things. Number one, we are already a third of the way through the hockey season the regular season so being like the nhl season with 82 games that means for the fantasy hockey season that we are closer to like halfway through i know that some people have playoffs a little bit later some people have playoffs a little bit earlier but that's something to keep in mind as we're kind of like rounding it with our teams here it's not quite halfway i'm not saying we're there yet uh, but we're certainly closer to halfway at this point in the fantasy season so we've talked about the last couple weeks some of the players who maybe you still have that you should maybe get rid of, and some of the players that you still have that maybe you should keep. Uh, We also discussed some people who are not owned in a ton of leagues that you should totally pick up if you haven't picked them up. 
one of the things I want to talk about today is I want to discuss a little bit more specifically for those of you in keeper leagues. As we're getting to this halfway point, I think it's important to kind of recognize if you think you're going to kind of be somebody pushing for the championship this year or if you think you're going to be a little bit nearer to the bottom of the league. The reason it's important to make that distinction a little bit earlier this year than most years is because of the very first topic we talked about today. There is more and more games getting postponed and more and more issues happening within the league. If this becomes a bigger problem, if we start to see guys that are missing a lot of games, it's going to start to impact your fantasy seasons as well. It could potentially impact the playoffs. Maybe we go to another bubble format for like actual playoffs for the NHL. Maybe closer to the end of the season, they end up having to postpone games. They end up having to literally just cancel games. Maybe the end of the season gets canceled. We don't know. I don't want to be totally pessimistic, but the reason I'm bringing this up is very simple. If you're not confident that your team is going to be making a run this year or a deep run in the playoffs, I would highly recommend trying to sell early. I would recommend trying to make trades with guys now because if later in the season a ton of games get postponed or later in the season something happens to impact your fantasy playoffs, somebody might get screwed over. Somebody who went all in this year, who traded away some of their high draft picks, who traded away some of the keepers that maybe they would have otherwise kept are going to be fighting for a championship that's going to be tumultuous. It's going to be hard to win. So if you're like me, Marcus, this is kind of where I'm getting at, and you think your team is not going to be fighting for first place in the league, I would recommend trying to make trades earlier rather than later. So I personally, Marcus, have already made quite a few trades, and I have been specifically trying to collect draft picks. So I'm up to four third-round draft picks. I have my own, and I have three other people's. There's only 10 guys in our league. So when the third round hits next year, I'm going to have four of the 10 selections. That's going to be pretty sweet, eh, Marcus? <laughs> You're going for it next season. Next season is your year. Next year is my year. I picked up an extra eighth. I picked up an extra 14th. I'm trading guys that I mentioned earlier in our podcast, but our league, you can't keep your top three draft picks. So I'm trading guys that I know I won't be able to keep for next year. And I'm trying to get as much value as I can. The other thing I've been doing is I've been very active with the free agent pool that we have in our league. I've been picking up guys that are having hot starts. I've been picking up guys that have been playing well, and then I'm trading them away to other people for mid to late round picks. That's why I have an extra eight. That's why I have an extra 14th. The reason for those is because I've picked up guys like Matt Duchesne, and I've picked up guys like Anthony Sorelli, and I've picked up guys like Ryan Hartman, and I've picked up guys like Boone Jenner, guys who probably weren't drafted in most leagues, and in our league, if guys aren't drafted, you can't keep them. So again, for me, those are guys that are playing well, and I think I can get value back for them. There's no point in me hanging on to them at this point. I'd rather trade them for mid-round value and just get something in return. The other thing is, I'd rather trade my better players earlier in the season because if I get rid of my better players, guess what, Marcus? I'm going to do worse, which means I'm going to get a higher pick in the first round. So that's part of the strategy as well as if you know you're not going to be doing great, I would recommend in a year that is very going to be very up and down with COVID and postponements and potentially some serious ramifications or serious issues nearer to the end of the season, the fantasy season that is, if you don't think you're going to be close to that top, I would go sooner rather than later. What about you, Marcus? 
So you're telling me to trade, to dump my team now? No, because you're in a good spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm fifth. I don't know if I'm quite at the top or <laughs> quite at the bottom. I'm just you're fifth. fifth I'm... But you're not far off from first place. You're only 16 points out of first place, which is eight wins. That's true. And last week, Marcus, how did you do? I had a pretty good week. I won of the 12 categories. I won 10, lost one, and tied one. 10 and 1 against the guy in second place. Now you're only eight points behind that guy. So if he has another down week where he only scores one to four categories, but you score eight to 10 categories, all of a sudden you're up there, right? So that's the biggest difference. For me, I'm in seventh place out of 10, and I only have 97 points. So I'm actually 35 points out of first place. For me, that seems a little bit more unattainable. So that's why for myself, I'm doing that. The other thing I mentioned earlier is you want to really keep an eye on the free agent pool this year. I mentioned guys that I picked up who had hot starts and then I was able to trade them. The other thing to keep in mind is this week, for example, I picked up David Perron. David Perron has missed the last eight games. He was current or just recently put on the uh, IR list. They're saying he's going to miss maybe another three games, but he should be back within the next couple weeks. For me, if I have a guy who I can't put on the IR because my IR slots are full, I still wouldn't mind picking up a guy like David Perron who has 18 points in 20 games. If he sits on my bench and doesn't get me points for a couple weeks, guess what? I'm going to do worse, which isn't the end <laughs> of the world. Plus, in a couple weeks when he's finally back and he starts to put the puck in the net like he always does, he's a left slash right wing. Guess what I'm going to do, Marcus? Try and trade I'm gonna him. I'm going to try to trade him. I'm going to try to get some draft pick value back for him. So, One of the things I do is I often will go to my league transactions list and I'll just take a look at guys that were dropped. Be like, oh, who was dropped? Who, you know, who was somebody that was on a team and now all of a sudden they're dropped? Why were they dropped? And in the case of David Perron, the guy who dropped him dropped him because he couldn't afford to let that guy sit on his bench. He already had his IRS slots filled and he had a couple guys who are also out that he can't even put onto the IRS slot yet. So he just literally could not hang on to him. And because of that reason, I was able to pick up David Perron, who is a fantastic player. And I'm hoping to get, I would say, maybe, you know, anywhere from a fifth to an eighth round pick for. It's a good strategy. Bold strategy, Cotton. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll see what happens, Marcus. But that's just a little bit of advice for me to you in the context of keeper leagues, keeper leagues in hockey. So and more particularly somebody who's on the bottom half of those leagues. And uh, maybe this is a strategy that could be beneficial for you. If you're in the top half, though, and you think you have a serious chance of winning, I don't recommend this strategy to you. Trade with Sean to get those players that will give you the value to push you to the next level. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? And the other thing, too, is if you're in a position like mine where you know you have guys you can't keep, You want to try to get rid of them because you want to try to get the best return you can for now. For me, what I do is I usually send out a trade to like three or four different teams with the one guy involved just to kind of get a gauge of what people think of that particular player. So, for example, Brady Kachuk, I traded him recently. Nobody can keep him. So keep that in mind. He's not somebody that can be kept for the following years. I put out a trade to like three, maybe four different guys. And I was like, hey, Brady's on the block. And, you know, I asked for a second round pick. I wasn't going to ask for a first. In my opinion, a first-round pick would be somebody like, you know, McDavid or Dreisaitl or, you know, one of the real top-end guys. And I got a couple counteroffers that were third-round picks. 
And so to me, I was like, okay, so like two or three different guys offered me a third round pick for him. That's probably his value at this point. So I'm going to try to get a third round pick for him and give up a later round pick. So then one guy offered to give me his third round pick for my seventh. And another guy offered to give me his third round pick for my 12th. And so I was like, well, I may as well take the third for the 12th instead of the third for the seventh. And so that's the other thing when I'm saying trade these guys away. I don't just mean like send one offer to one guy. I would highly recommend sending a few offers to a few guys. Maybe ask for a little more than you think he's worth. If somebody accepts, great. If not, you'll get that counter that you think is a little bit more fair value. I think, Sean, I think that's great. I think that's a good strategy to implement if you're in a keeper league. I think now is the time to really evaluate your team and like look in the past couple of weeks, compare your team to the number one seed, the number two, the number three. Can you beat them? Like, would your team stack up against number one, number two, number three, number four? You know, those those teams ahead of you, if you're in the middle of the pack, right? Obviously, the same thing. If you're number one, how does your team compare against the rest of the league? Are you head above heels, everybody else? Or are you really close? Like, can somebody catch you? Like, for example, in our league, number one is now number two after last week. So uh, I think the top three have, have all swapped or traded spots. So definitely there is movement for, and uh, with me sitting in fifth, as Sean was saying, I'm not too far off number one. And, you know, after maybe if I can put together a couple good weeks in a row, I could be number one. Now is a good time to really evaluate your team, check how you're doing, compare yourself to the other teams, see if, you are ready to pull the trigger on, you know, this season is not right for me. I don't think I stack up against the top teams in the league and I'm going to start trading away. Or I think I have a really good chance and maybe I just need, I'm like one or two assets away so I can tr try and trade for those guys. And, you know, the main goal is to win the championship, right? To win to win your fantasy uh, league. So if you... Or you restock can, for the next year. Yeah, well, <laughs> to I'm, try. Well, I'm, I'm saying everybody's goal is to win the fantasy league yes. regardless, right? So Whether if you don't think this next. is a good season then and you think next season you have a better chance, then that's that's what the game plan is. Then that's what you're going you're going to probably implore something like Sean's strategy where you start selling off and picking up value free agents that you can also sell off so that way next season is your push or where the season that you can get a really good team to start and hopefully that can carry you to the uh, championship next season so or even a future season but yeah I think for right now I think now as Sean said we're about halfway through the fantasy season I think it's a great time to really look at your team and check where you stand amongst the strong teams or amongst all teams and see if if you've got a good chance at winning it all great advice Marcus very well said very well done yeah all right, that wraps us up for this week of the Face-Offs in Fantasy Podcast with your two co-hosts, Sean and Marcus. We hope to have you back next time. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Have an excellent week. Bye! Bye.